today, uh, uh, chapter 3. So if you'll be turning to Colossians chapter 3, that's what we're going to look at. And uh, um, we're going to, I'd like to begin by reading uh, the passage beginning in verse 5. I'm going to read the whole, the whole chapter, and, and that includes uh, chapter 4, verse 1, because I believe that's the last verse of chapter 3, really. And it's okay if you want to change that in your Bible because it really is the last verse of chapter 3. But anyways, uh, we'll read through chapter 4, verse 1. So, starting in chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your, of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a, co a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Be uh, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as do, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as with those merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. I heard a, 
a man say one time, his name is Harold Best, I heard him say, a mature Christian is easily edified. And it, it really stuck with me. It's kind of a, a, an interesting goal to have. It, I would think it'd be a sign of good mental health and genuine obedience of faith. A, a mature Christian is easily edified. I'm afraid that far too often a more accurate assessment of myself would be that I'm too easily annoyed, too easily irritated, too easily impatient or hurt or angered or, as often is the case in my case, too easily distracted. <coughs> but wouldn't it be great if those who knew us best could honestly say, it is so easy to edify him. It doesn't take much. It doesn't need the best sermon ever preached or the most excellent song ever composed or the most powerful book ever written or the most theologically uh, eloquent statement ever uttered. Just the simplest truth was enough to refresh his heart in Christ. I had such a time last week in a sermon at, at Heartland and it was just a simple truth and it's like tears in my eyes. And I love it when that happens. But that's a but that's not always the case, is it? I mean with us. So so what we're gonna do uh, this morning is we're gonna look at some a series of simple truths. But I hope that after we uh, see how the Apostle Paul deals with these that you will be encouraged and maybe even a little convicted more than you were before you came in. Paul does an interesting thing with, with these simple truths. He has a way of, of presenting things in a way that, you, that it's hard to forget what he said. And also he's an organizer, I think. He just seems to organize things in a way that make it, make it really good. And I'm a visual guy. I'm a machinist by trade. So I'm a visual. I visualize things. I have spatial... You know, I, I, I like to think of how things work, fit together and how things look. So in my mind, as I read through this, um, I thought of a cube. And I'll explain that later, but you'll, you'll see how that, how that fits together. But anyway, um, to give you a little bit of background from where he's at in chapter 3, because we're just diving right into chapter 3, right in the middle of this guy's letter. So let me just go back a little bit. In chapter 1... Paul gives a prayer. He doesn't just say, I'm praying for you. He says what he's praying for, and he tells them. I think it's a good practice for us to not just say, I'm praying for you, but say, I'm praying this for you. And so Paul does that to them. And in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says that he prays, he says, I'm praying that you would be filled with knowledge. Well, he takes the first two chapters of this book, and, and he gives them a theological lesson on Christ and on how to avoid false doctrines. So he gives them this knowledge. And right after he said it, it, that in chapter 1, he also said, uh, not, that you, not only that you would be filled with knowledge, but that you would walk worthy of the manner of the Lord. So that you would walk in a certain way. Well, beginning in chapter 3, that's what he does. He begins telling them how to live with one another. How to, how to live this knowledge out. And so the prayer that he prays for them is exactly what he does in, his, in, in giving them. He gives them what, he, what they need. In chapter 2, verse 6, 
Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So here he goes again, just in this one verse. He's saying, first you've got to receive Christ and then walk in Him. And this is what, what Paul does in this book. He talks about the, the very Christ you need to receive and then how to live that out in your daily life. All that to say this. And this is the, the main, I think, the main point of this chapter 3 here that we're looking at, the second half of chapter 3. All of our outward, earthly relationships bear witness of an inward, heavenly relationship with Christ. Or, they bear witness of no relationship with Christ. So how is my vertical relationship with Christ? How's it going? How is it? Where, where's it at? If you want to know where that is at, Look at the horizontal relationships that you have. What then are, are our earthly horizontal relationships to look like? If they indeed are to reflect what we have, uh, that we have a personal, vibrant relationship, a vertical relationship with Christ. What are they to look like? Well, Paul gives us six specific commands in our text this morning that all together provide an answer to that question. And so we're going to go into them. And I'm going to just expound right through them. Because what Paul does is very simple. He starts by giving us those things to put off. And those things to put on. And then right after that, he gives us every conceivable type of relationship that you could have. And so that's why I think of a cube, because... On one side of the cube, you have what to put off. On the other face, you have what to put on. And on the top of that cube, you have you have all of the all of the different relationships. Apply them all together, all of it together. It all fits together as a unit. And I look at this as a unit. I look at this as Paul saying, "Look, here's what you're to do, and here's where you're to do it." And so you take each one of these relationships and you put them through the sieve or through the filter of these and, that's, and you're going to come out with a relationship with each other that honors Christ and it can only be done as he covers in the first couple of verses which is another sermon about that, that you have to be in Christ or this isn't going to happen so let's look at that let's, let's begin and it starts in verse 18 he starts because he's, he's already talked about, you know, what to put off, what to put on. And then he starts here in verse 18 and he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's just a one sentence deal here. And I'm, I'm going to be going back and forth with his, with his uh, book to the Ephesians because he does the same thing with them. The word fitting, when it says, this is, because this is fitting to the Lord, this word fitting comes from two Greek words. One means in the middle, in the midst, or, or between two things. And the other one just means to come. And so, you put this together and it's like, uh, when it says, wives be subject to your husbands, for this is fitting. This is where, you're, this is the center of where you're supposed to be. This is where you're to find yourself. And so that's, that's kind of what he's talking about there. Paul, early in the chapter, 
is saying that a Christian woman, as a Christian woman, you'll be able to overcome anger. You'll be able to overcome wrath and malice and slander. You'll be able to overcome obscene talk and lying. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to show compassion and kindness and humility, meekness, patience, long-suffering, and even forgiveness, all from the heart. And that peace will rule in your heart. So here, in verse 18, Paul is saying, therefore, you can be submissive. This is evidence that you're saved. While the wife is her husband's completer and is one with him and is working with him as a team, there does come a time in every decision where she is to quietly submit. And if she has put off and if she has put on, she will do this from the heart. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul deals with this very issue as well in a little different way. He's talking about the church and as the church submits to Christ, so the wife is to submit to the husband. So he gives this picture. And then in verse 33 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, he says that the wife is to respect her husband. So in this first command in Colossians 3, he says that the wives are to submit to their husbands. And he has given them how to do that. And if, if you go through each one of these and say, okay, how do I you know, uh, be compassionate? How do I uh, be kind? How do I do this? How do I do this? And think about your husband in particular. You can begin to take these passages and form it right into your life in a very specific way. And then he goes on to the husband. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Uh, this word embittered actually means to, it's, it's a bitterness in the stomach. Um, it, and in, a, in, a, in this sense, it's talking about don't exasperate them. Don't, don't render them angry or indignant or irritated uh, or grieve them. But, uh, it, you know, this comes out in our facial expressions, our body language. Um, it's not just our words, right? And over in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul deals with this as well, and he gives that, that picture of Christ and the church. And he talks about the, the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? Well, it says that he, he gave himself for her. Why did he give himself for her? For her spiritual growth, for sanctification. He did it for her salvation, washing of the word. He did it for her purity. He says without spot or sprinkle or wrinkle. And he, he says he did it for her glorification. Without blemish and holy. I mean he did it for all these reasons. And this is why we're to love our wives. We're to be engaged in this way. In all of these things. He says that they're to love their wives as their own bodies. This speaks of Christ's sacrifice, of course. How do they love their own bodies? They nourish. He uses the words nourish and cherish. So the husband is to nourish and to cherish. This is where the husband does everything in his power to aid his wife in her sanctification, in her spiritual growth, in her personal purity. Husbands, you are to be intimately involved in the spiritual growth of your wife 
at the end of the day, a good question for you to ask yourself before you lay down is, did I say anything? Did I do anything today that encouraged my life spiritually? Show me a married man who has put off anger and wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. You show me a man who has put on compassion and kindness, humility and meekness. Did I mention humility? Patience and humility. I think I left that out. And and long-suffering and humility and and forgiveness. You show me a man who can put these off and put those on and I'll show you a husband who is never harsh to his wife. Because peace rules in his heart. So Paul gives us these two commands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now children, I know you're about to go to sleep. Because I'm talking about mom and dad. And I'm not even talking about as mom and dad, but as husband and wife. It's like, okay, whatever. But he turns right to you guys now. Now Paul's talking to you. And he's still talking to us, adults, because we're still children of parents, right? If you have parents living, you still have parents you can honor, right? Actually, if you have parents of the past, you have parents you can honor. Still. Amen? So... In verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Alright, so over in Ephesians 5, we talked about honoring, honoring your parents. Once, children, once you know what your parents wish, what they want, what they wish from you, whether it's something they want you to do, or it's something they want you to stop doing, but once in your mind, you know what they wish. It's time. Okay? It's time. What is it time for? It's time to honor. That's what it is. I wish we had a watch that you could put on your wrist that, that, that would, every time, that it would sense when you know what your parents want and it would vibrate and it would, it would come on and say, Honor. On it, and you would know it's time. It's time. It's time to honor. We don't have that. That doesn't mean we can't do that, right? It's time. That's when it's time. It's time to honor. Show me a young person who is putting off these things of anger, lying, hatred, malice, and putting on like compassion, love, patience. Because you know your parents aren't perfect, right? It requires some patience, right? Long-suffering. And you know your parents need your forgiveness sometimes? Yeah, they do. You show me a young person who puts off and puts on these things, and I'll show you a young person who truly seeks to honor the Lord through honoring their parents. And I'll also show you a young person whom God can use in a mighty way for him. So the third command is that children are to obey their parents. But he has a command for the parents. 
as well. So now we're back to mom and dad, but now it's as mom and dad. So he says in verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will be, so they will not lose heart. Uh, this uh, exasperate or provoke, you know, this, this, it means to excite or stimulate. Uh, Paul actually uses this word in a, in a good way in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. He said, he, he's talking about their zeal for God and how it provokes many. Right. But this is in a negative way. He's using it in a negative way right here. Where he's saying, uh, you know, fathers or parents, don't, don't provoke or excite or stir up, stimulate them. Uh, and in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, don't provoke them because it, it makes them angry. Instead, he says, on the, on the contrary, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, you know, when you when you discipline your children, it's a lot better to do that than it is to punish them. There is a difference. Because punishment seems to be looking at the past, and discipline seems to be looking at the future. Uh, punishment seems to be getting even, and discipline seems to be doing just what God does with us. And that is bringing them through the full deal of confession of sin and forgiveness and redemption, and it's the whole gospel. What a great idea that God came up with to, to allow parents to give the gospel to their, parents, to their children every time. They know they're going to sin a lot. Well, then they're going to get the gospel a lot. You know, and so it, it, what, a great, what a great system he came up with. This is great. <clears throat> if we'll do it, right? If we'll do it. We have that opportunity. We all have the same opportunity to give the gospel to our children anytime. He says, uh, he says that you know it disheartens them. Uh, Disheartened, it comes from a word that means passionate anger. Uh, it means to be broken in spirit. Uh, you know, this too comes out in our facial expression, our body language too, as well. We need to be careful. Parents and fathers, in particular, we must be self-controlled in our words to our children. Another way to put it. We are to be disciplined in our words toward our children. If we, if we carefully measure our words before we speak to our children and then give those words in patience, and if those words are in alignment with the revealed word of God, then how could they respond in anger or how could their spirit be crushed as a result of them? If we approach our children with a heart of compassion, if we approach our children with kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and with a burning desire to forgive them of their offenses, which is what God does with us, they will have a better footing upon which to reach out in love and not anger. It's the Christian parent who should be raising godly children because Christians are putting off and putting on continuously every day, all the time. So not only are wives to submit to their husbands, not only are husbands to love their wives, and not only are children to obey their parents, but parents are not to exasperate their children, causing them to lose heart. But he's not done. He... Um, he goes on in verse 22, and he speaks of slaves and masters, uh, and, he's, and he, he mentions, um, when he says, slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, uh, 
not with external surface, surface or, or eye pleasers, as, as, as one version says, as those who merely please men, but sincerely from the heart, fearing the Lord. <clears throat> so this is the, the system that they had at the time. I believe that system today is more like employees and employers. And, and I see how these, these work out in this way. Paul says to obey, not with eye service. This comes from two Greek words as well. One meaning eyeball, and the other means slavery. Bondage, service of a slave. So this is the employee who only works when he's being watched. It's like they, like they asked me one time, uh, how long have you uh, been working here? Ever since they threatened to fire me? That's this employee, yeah. All right. The word uh, men pleasers also comes from two Greek words. One means mankind in general, and the other means to accommodate oneself to the opinions and desires and interests of the other person, of another person. So studying to please men, courting the favor of men. So where's the focus of this employee? This employee's focus is on pleasing men. So he believes with all his heart that he's working for men. Well, Christians are working for men. But who are they really working for? What's the Bible say? We're working for Christ. That's where our focus needs to be. Pleasing Him. So, employees like children are commanded to obey. Now, now onto the last commandment which is the manager of the company or the owner of the company, if it's a smaller company, maybe. Um, and he, again, these, these things that we put off and put on, it greatly affects the relationship, how we relate in these situations. And if you keep these in mind, it, it can dictate down to the, to, to the de degree of every decision you make in a company or as an employee. To treat their employees the same as the Bible instructs employees to treat you. To put off and put on these things. Both passages instruct the employers to remember. Both the passage in, in Ephesians and the passage, the passage here in Colossians. Paul repeats himself in this way. He tells them that you have, you're, even though you're a boss, you have a boss. And that's, that's the Lord God. So, all of this is said, in conclusion... That if it looks like a duck and waddles like a duck and quacks like a duck and swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. In all of these relationships, Paul is saying that if it looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, acts like a Christian, then it's probably a Christian. But if they display anger and wrath and malice and slander, if they lie and use hurtful language and basically think only of themselves, not desiring to forgive, then they're probably just what they seem to be. So back to the original statement. All of our outward earthly relationships bear witness of an inward heavenly relationship with Christ or it bears witness of a lack of one. Paul has shown us exactly what this looks like 
when he says that a Christian wife submits and that a Christian husband loves and that Christian children obey and that Christian parents are patient and that Christian employees obey and that Christian employers are merciful and just. So as you can see, the horizontal relationships in our lives reflect upon the vertical relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that God would use the godly relationships in this young church to shine as light in a darkness in the Andover area. And I do think He will. Amen. Let's just take a moment and reflect upon the Word of God that has been preached to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the Word that You have given us this morning. But God, we also know our propensity, Father, to, to sin. And as Jeff so clearly pointed out how we can be frustrated with one another and angry and not exhibit the character of Christ. But we thank You, Lord, that You didn't just lay out a model for us and say, here, go do this. But instead, You have given us Your power by Your Holy Spirit to come to us right where we live in the midst of all of our struggles in the mess of our relationships and all these things. And You, God, come and bring hope that we can trust You. That You give us power to put off the things You have called us to put off or to put on the things You have called us to put on. And I pray for our homes, dear God, the households that are represented here today, that we would trust in your grace this week, that we would see the power of your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and our lives to be more like you, Lord Jesus, and that we might be a witness to the world around us. God, we thank you you didn't call us to be perfect. You called us to trust you and to rely upon your strength. And we pray that you would be glorified and that there would even be people, Lord Jesus, who now, right now, this moment, don't know you, but through the witness of your church would come to faith in you and would be sitting in these pews and worshiping you, God, for the hope that they receive as they hear and see the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. We thank you, O God, and praise you for your mighty power mighty even to save a sinner like us. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. If you would, please take your hymnals.